The following content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Hello and welcome everyone to Always Another Way podcast. My name is Marina Sprocky Spriggs. And I have a master's in professional counseling. I am the Ippy award-winning author of Stop Looking for a Husband, Find the Love of Your Life and Nasty Divorce, A Kid's Eye View. I have been writing positive divorce advice for the Huffington Post since 2012, and I'm trained in clinical hypnosis. And this podcast speaks to out-of-the-box thinkers, and it's for those who hear the call of hope and always another way. And if you are very rigid and set in your beliefs, then this probably isn't your cup of tea. However, you should note, taste can and do change. And I want to ask again, everybody beg you, please, 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 please take the little extra step. I know it takes time and it's one more thing, but go to your podcast app. Find always another way and subscribe. And if you rate it, the podcast moves higher up and more people can hear all of these podcasts on ways to do things another way. And you help spread information. And we have a great show today. We're going to be talking about the Zendo Project, which is psychedelic harm reduction. But before we dive into that, I just want to, for comparison, um, talk about something else that's, uh, and you'll see how it's related. I want to talk about sex education and teaching abstinence. So, um, you know, sex and drugs and politics and religion, these are all things people feel very personal about. So emotions sometimes get wrapped up in decisions where, you know, if we let the emotion go and looked at the research, we might find something else. So I'm going to read you just a little excerpt from an NPR article from August 23, 2017. Abstaining from sexual activity is a surefire way to prevent pregnancy and avoid sexually transmitted diseases. But programs advocating abstinence often fail to prevent young people from having sex, researchers write in the September issue of the Journal of Adolescent Health. It's not just unrealistic, but it leaves our young people without the information and skills that they need, says Laura Lindbergh, co-author of the report and a research scientist at the Guttmacher Institute. The analysis confirms previous public health findings that abstinence-only education programs do not succeed in reducing rates of teen pregnancies or STDs. Moreover, public health data indicate that such programs have little demonstrative efficacy in helping adolescents to delay intercourse. When American teens do begin having sex, they may fail to use condoms or other forms of contraception, unlike their peers in other countries, who have routine access to contraceptive education and counseling, the report suggests. You know, likewise, if you think about drugs and the whole just say no campaign, but the real statistics behind that. And now, of course, there's there's just always a middle ground. And I believe education is knowledge. And so the research is in. And sticking your head in the ground and pretending things don't exist isn't helpful for anyone. So we're here to spread some knowledge 
And I want to bring on my guest, Sarah Gale, MA, Director of Harm Reduction for the Zendo Project. Sarah has received her master's degree in transpersonal counseling psychology at Naropa University. She began working with MAPS in 2012, coordinating psychedelic harm reduction services at festivals and events worldwide with the Zendo Project. Sarah was an intern therapist for the recently completed MAPS Phase II clinical trial of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD in Boulder, Colorado. She maintains a private practice as a psychotherapist specializing in trauma and non-ordinary states of consciousness. Sarah believes that developing a comprehensive understanding of psychedelic medicines through research and education is essential for the health and well-being of individuals, communities, and the planet. She is also a ketamine-assisted psychotherapist at a psychotherapy clinic in Boulder. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure. So let's, um, you know, I think this is new to a lot of people, um, you know, to talk about all these things together. But let's talk about first, just tell everyone what the Zendo Project is. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great place to start. <laughs> So the Zenda Project is what we call a psychedelic harm reduction peer support organization. And so harm reduction is a really broad term that encompasses a really different way of dealing with things like drug use and sex education, things that in our society might be considered taboo. Um, this includes addiction as well. So there's an organization called the Harm Reduction Coalition that people can look at. And um, that organization really describes like the big umbrella of what harm reduction is and as it pertains specifically to drug use. And so it is a philosophy and a set of principles and techniques that aim to reduce the harms and minimize the risks associated with substance use. And so psychedelic harm reduction is a, another subset of that big umbrella. And that includes things like drug testing so people coming in to at festivals or um, ordering drug testing kits online, organizations like Dance Safe are one of those um, organizations that provide that service. It also includes providing drug education and information such as sites like Arrowid. And um, those, those, so it's education, um, drug testing, things like that all fall under the umbrella of harm reduction. And then what the Zendo Project does specifically is called psychedelic peer support. And so what our focus is on is providing a safe space and specialized care with trained volunteers who are there to support people through emotional um, difficult experiences as they relate to psychedelic substance use. And the Zendo Project operates at a number of festivals worldwide, including Burning Man, which is coming up soon, um, Envision Festival in Costa Rica, Lightning in a Bottle in California. And so we do a number, we also have done a number of other uh, events annually. and. 
the other aspect, so that's one aspect of what we do is direct service. So providing the space, providing the care for people to come who are having challenging experiences. And then the other arm of our service is providing education on how to help people who are having challenging experiences. So the education and outreach is really geared toward the public. And the focus is on how to help your friends, how to help your family and community if people that you encounter are having a difficult or challenging psychedelic experience um, that is emotional or psychological in nature. Very cool, very cool. So how did you get involved with the Zendo project? And, uh, and what, what kind of spurred your interest into this, um, into this field of even knowing like, oh, wow, this is out here? Yeah, so I studied transpersonal counseling psychology at Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. And transpersonal psychology really dives into the, this concept of non-ordinary states of consciousness. Okay. And that's not just related to psychedelics. So uh, many cultures throughout history have explored non-ordinary states of consciousness, meaning not your everyday default mode way of thinking and exploring that through different means, whether that's through dance, meditation, prayer, sexuality, uh, or entheogens, psychedelics. So psychedelics are just one way in which human beings throughout time have chosen to alter their perspective of reality. And there's all different kinds of reasons why people choose to engage in psychedelic substance use. But this isn't a just common modern thing. So right now we really see this resurgence in psychedelic research and interest in these psychedelic substances for the treatment of things like PTSD, depression, anxiety. So there's been this, this real resurgence of interest, but psychedelics have been used, uh, we don't really know how long, honestly, there's different hypotheses um, anthropologically and uh, you know, looking back historically, and there's different uh, hypotheses and ideas about how long these substances have been used. And so um, transpersonal psychology was really um, born out of the psychedelic movement in the 60s when a lot of these substances, um, especially LSD, was first created, synthesized, and discovered. And it informed um, the the discovery of psychedelics, both synthetic and what we call plant medicine, such as ayahuasca and magic mushrooms, psilocybin, um, peyote, mescaline, things like that. Um, so those things were discovered in the West and whereas they'd been known of by other cultures for a really long time in some cases. And so uh, transpersonal psychology was really born out of that, that psychedelic movement in the 60s and really informed by a lot of people's experiences and not just um, lay, lay people, but also professors, um, psychologists. And in the 60s and 70s, there was a lot of interest in the psych psychology and psychiatry communities in these substances for um, you know, a variety of different reasons and people were really interested in what they did to the mind and to the emotions in the body and were really interested in how they could be applied 
therapeutically. And there was some promising research and explorations that happened during that time that showed that some of these substances could be used in a therapeutic context. And so that all went really underground after the, um, you know, after the Reagan administration and after uh, criminalization of psychedelics. So prohibition came in and these substances became what we call scheduled uh, through the FDA and the DEA. So schedule one, meaning for all intents and purposes, no therapeutic value and high potential for addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, those are what we consider Schedule One substances here in the U.S. Other countries have different ways of classifying their substances. And so I was studying transpersonal counseling psychology at Naropa University, and I was really, um, I also had interest in psychedelics, and I've always been really interested in non-ordinary states of consciousness from a very early age. I felt very drawn to Eastern practices of meditation and um, different practices. I, I read a lot about uh, Buddhism, and Naropa is a, a Buddhist-rooted university. Um, it also brings in elements of other Uh, philosophies and religions as well and spiritual practices and so I've always been really interested in psychedelics and uh, their ability to expand consciousness and you know growing up in the just say no um, dare era in high school and middle school um, was always just told you know drugs are bad period, don't even talk about them, don't even ask about them. And um, through my own, uh, you know, exploration as a young one in in high school, uh, exploring kind of a variety of um, avenues to consciousness and exploration of my own path, um, you know, was interested in psychedelics. And so when I was in college, I really saw that there wasn't a lot of, even though I was going to this transpersonally inspired university, there wasn't a lot of talk about psychedelics. And so a group of my um, fellow students and I uh, created a group at at Naropa called NAPS, the Naropa Alliance for Psychedelic Studies. Cool. And um, through that, I met people who worked at MAPS, who then I um, became affiliated with, who then brought me into the MAPS community. And I started working with the Zendo Project in 2012, and shortly thereafter started working as a sub-investigator on the MDMA for PTSD trial here in Boulder. So curiosity, uh, an open mind, and um, and a background in psychology and psychotherapy is really what brought me to this work. I love it. And then something you said, which just um, kind of entails like almost what I think about another way. And so when you talked about like all the just say no and it's all bad, and it's just the same thing like with the, the sex thing and two, that people are smart and they find out through experience. And when you see that experience doesn't match those words, you know, and this is what sometimes I think that... Um, I don't know who it is that 
uh, decides they're going to do, you know, the blanket stuff like abstinence only, but but doesn't see that when you experience uh, what I call it, like almost, um, you know, hypocrisy, like, but when somebody says something like, these are bad and these will kill you, but then you do it and you're like, well, that didn't happen. And actually it was completely different than what you said, how then trust kind of breaks down versus if you just gave somebody all the information and then here you make up your own mind <laughs> and this is available, you know, just interesting how that goes. Um, yeah. But, but, yes, but with, absolutely. yeah, but with that, um, let's say, okay, I'm going to Burning Man. I'm planning on, I'm, I'm planning on doing some LSD. How would I find Zendo? How would I know that you're there? And then kind of, could you walk us through like, what happens? I start having a bad trip and how does it all work? Kind of. Yeah, so to speak to the direct service aspect of our work, we work with festivals to get the word out that we're there. So all the festivals that we work out, um, work at, um, at least um, in the United States and as well as most other countries, um, you have a strict no drug policy. Um, and then there's also the rec the understanding, like you just mentioned, that people are going to choose drugs despite your policies and procedures. So, you know, unless you're going to enlist a police a state at your festival or event, uh, this could be a festival, this could be a music and arts event that's just an evening. You know, we all go to concerts and shows where people choose to, uh, you know, imbibe in a variety of substances, legal and illegal, mm -hmm. <laughs> alcohol being the, the main one of those, right? And so uh, we often see a lot of issues actually with alcohol and the Zendo and specifically alcohol mixed with psychedelics, which is... Uh, and my number, my number one <laughs> sort of uh, avoid, you know, um, that mixture. So, yeah, we work with these festivals. There's a, a strict no drug policy at these events. And um, because we live in a society where they are illegal and um, there are other places in the world, but the, in the U.S., you know, this is this is the way that um, things are stand currently. So. Even with that being said, festivals understand that a certain percentage of the people who are going to attend their events or um, music events as well, um, understand that people are going to be on drugs and that they may come to the event already on drugs. They may sneak them in they, a variety of different ways. So uh, they, what they do is we partner with them to get the word out that Zender Project services are there and what we, the messaging that we send out to the public is if you're having a challenging time, a difficult experience, this is where you can find us and um, we give people our address and it's in the guidebook, it's in the literature, it's in people's apps on their phone. So the Zenda project over the past six years has really become more well known. So at festivals where we've been at for a while, people recognize and understand, okay, the Zendo's here and I can either take my friends or take myself, or if I see something, I can, you know, go and get help. And so people are more and more aware of our services. And that wasn't always the, the case in the beginning of our work. Uh, people were like, what's this? How do we interact with this? And, and there's always a new influx of new people at every event that we do. And so it's really getting the messaging out there, um, which is this this balance of, um, you know, recognizing that 
these are no drug events, but also not lying to ourselves and essentially, yeah. you know, knowing that people are going to be doing this. And so um, really responsible uh, organizations and production companies have opted to incorporate harm reduction services into their events as a measure to help protect the emotional, uh, psychological, and uh, physical safety of their participants, um, their attendees. And so um, I would say, you know, the, the message really from my standpoint is that if you don't, if you're throwing an event and you are having musicians and you're having a variety of different activities, it is really the responsibility of the festival production company to decide, um, you know, to have harm reduction services to protect the emotional, um, you know, people's emotional well-being. And we call what we do sometimes emotional first aid or psychological first aid, and we see it as just as important as medical first aid at a festival because um, the experiences that people can have and how those experiences are dealt with have the, you know, can make the difference between somebody having a challenging experience that they move through, that they come out the other side saying, wow, I've really had a, a different view of drugs and now my relationships with drugs have completely changed and I want to use things in a more responsible manner and how did I end up in this situation? <laughs> um, to, you know, people really just recognizing, um, like having these big transformational experiences and, and without harm reduction services, or if people don't receive peer support or support in general around their, their emotional experience, this is something that can scar people for life. Yeah. It can cause trauma. Um, it can cause all kinds of um, things further down the line that can impact people um, really for the rest of their lives. So that is a huge part of our mission is really helping to avoid, um, you know, traumatization by um, bringing in tools to deal with these situations that are based in, 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 in informed methods, uh, people who are informed about the actual effects of psychedelics. Yeah, that's awesome. And just thinking as somebody who is a, you know, former partier who went to concerts and did stuff too. Um, yeah, how nice it would have been to have known, like if you are having trouble because then the, the fear comes in. And like you said, it's not, it's not advocating illegal drug use. It's just knowing that it is going to happen whether you say it or not. Just like teens are gonna have sex no matter how much you pump out that abstinence, gonna happen. So, you know, we could admit what stuff is going on and, and like you said let's solve it a different way because there are lots of things that could happen super traumatic things and it got me thinking about just another aspect of that i was a sophomore in high school and um and we all got together um because t kids were they were doing drugs and uh, one of the kids ended up dying and the reason was so they were doing i think they were mixing like alcohol lsd cocaine just a cocktail of stuff um, and then one person had thought something and ended up like actually stabbing the other guy and it just, it went south from there. But if you could, and so I guess they went to the hospital, what are you guys doing? They said, nothing, we're not on anything because they were so fearful. And then I think if they would have told, because the guy went in critical, if they would have said, yes, he's on drugs, his life could have been saved. And so with that, does Zendo, because I would just think it would provide that place where I wouldn't normally get help because I'm scared I'm gonna be arrested. 
But if you could work through it and then do something, it could be a totally life-changing experience. Yeah, the fear of getting in trouble, of being arrested is one of the main reasons why people who are having a challenging time, especially if it's a really intense experience where they're having, uh, you know, there's a huge range of experiences, everything from someone just coming in and quietly saying, I'm having a bit of a hard time, can I talk to somebody, to full on, you know, aggression, violence, things like that. And um, so the way that we, you know, we, we understand that people are afraid of going to get help. And um, that's why we really work closely with medical and security teams. So, you know, people, we're working in tandem consistently with these other emergency service teams. So that if even people come to the Zendo, they're still being checked out by people in who are working in the medical team to make sure that there's no also physical medical ha- things happening simultaneously um, because someone can have an emotionally difficult experience and a, a, a medically unsafe experience at the same time. And so that's why it's really important um, for people who are wanting to either, you know, provide these services at festivals through their own, creating their own organizations, um, or who want to work with, you know, medical or organizations like the Zendo Project, um, to be aware that it's always crucial that um, it's it's mandatory that heart, emotional peer support organizations work in conjunction with medical and security. Um, people who are violent, who are aggressive, we work with the security um, professionals at these events because we that's beyond our scope of practice, um, as well as medical. We don't provide medical support. We don't provide medical care. And so what we do is we work with the medical team to make sure that people are safe physically. And so um, that kind of helps diffuse some of this fear for people because what we've noticed is that people feel really safe coming to the Zendo space. And then, um, you know, and then we get them checked out uh, if there's any signs and symptoms that there's something potentially wrong medically, then we get them checked out by a person from the medical tent, which is right next door to us. And then, um, so we're, we're, making sure that people are safe on all fronts um, because yeah someone someone in uniform you know a lot of times people don't want to go to the place where people have uniforms on it's scary um, and so we we uh, we help to make those what we call triage right so we help to make those connections with the other emergency service services that are available when the, when that's necessary and um, it's really important for people to understand their local laws and so those vary from state to state and in most cases if you come in and you're on drugs but you're not in possession of a substance um, then there are you know laws in place to protect you because if you come in and you 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 know work you're going into, say, a medical tent, and they need to know what's going on in order to avoid um, horrible situations like the one that you named um, from happening. And so, yeah, it's really tragic that it's it's really this whole system that's set up to put fear in people um, for getting help, which then leads to uh, these really tragic situations. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's 
one of the ways or a few of the ways in which we work within that system to still ensure that people get the care that they need. And Zendo is this place where people really feel safe, like, oh, I can, I can go there and I know that, you know, they're going to take care of me emotionally. And I know that if there's anything else that's going on, that they're going to uh, um, escalate my level of care to the appropriate um, professionals. I love it. I love all of that. So um, what else did we not talk about that you want the audience to know about um, Zendo, Maps, yourself, and, and all of this stuff? Any things that you just would think that is just important for people to know? Yeah, so um, one of the things, you know, people want to know how to volunteer, uh, and we get a lot of people reaching out about that. It, all the information is on our website. So if you want to volunteer, go on zendoproject.org. There's a volunteer tab. There's an application. Um, and then when you sign up, you get email newsletters, and those newsletters let you know when a new application is um, has gone out for a particular event. So people fill out a profile and then an event application is released. And then uh, once that application is released, people find out through the newsletter that they've signed up for and then they can apply for that specific event. So that's one of the most common questions that we get is how do I volunteer? And so that's that's it. And um, you know, you don't have to be a mental health professional to volunteer. This is peer support that we are providing. And um, we have people who are mental health professionals on our team, but we that's not what the Zendo provides. We're not providing therapy, psychotherapy. Uh, we're not providing, um, you know, mental health treatment. We're providing peer support, similar to organizations like um, AA or NA, um, who provide, you know, these, these spaces where other peers are supporting peers. And so um, that's one thing. And then the other is our education program. So if you're interested in being trained in what we do, we offer training, we offer over um, around a dozen trainings annually in different cities across the US. And so the thing with that is to also go to our website, sign up for our email newsletter, and um, then you'll get informed about when those trainings and where those trainings are going to be. And we try to bring those to as many places as possible. We're really working to diversify our outreach to underrepresented populations as well as other countries. Um, so we'll be going to India in December actually and doing a training tour in India. Um, we are looking at doing some trainings down in Mexico. There's different places. Um, that we are wanting to bring our services where they're needed in terms of the education and outreach. And then the way that it's often worked is that, um, you know, people are interested in creating their own similar organizations to the Zendo um, by, you know, a different calling it by a different name. And those organizations, those people come, we can either do private trainings um, or those people can come to public trainings. And then they come and volunteer with us, learn about how to do this work, and then they create similar programs in their own communities. And that's really one of our main goals. Um, Zendo's goal was never to bring our services to as many festivals as possible. It was really to make this a community grassroots movement where people um, would create similar organizations and uh, based on our model and our our protocols and use those those protocols to help inform 
their organizations, as well as, um, you know, a lot of these organizations that are popping up now that are um, have been informed by what the Zendo project has done um, are, you know, similar to us, have many mental health professionals who work, who help to provide support and guidance and consultation. And so um, that's one thing. So training, education, outreach, um, all that information can be found on the website. If you can't find it, then you can email us at zendo at maps.org. And then the last thing I'll mention is that um, we're having a fundraising campaign right now. And um, we had a, uh, that can be found on our main page of zendoproject.org. In that fundraising campaign, we um, were aiming to reach 70,000. We reached that number and we are now um, going, moving toward a stretch goal of 100,000. Nice. And the Zendo Project is entirely funded by donors and um, we, we do charge events that we provide services at um, for our services, but there's a lot of outreach and a lot of education, a lot of things that we do that are, um, that we, as well as growing as an organization and expanding our services to other places, other countries and communities that require grassroots do donor support. And so um, if people are interested and able to donate, then they can check out that on the main page of um, Zender Project right now. And so today's date is August 9th, and that um, will be going on uh, until the end of the month. And so if people um, have, you know, are interested in donating or um, want to share that information with their communities, then they can do so um, by visiting our website and we just want to thank everyone who has supported us thus far um, to reach our 70,000 goal and beyond. Um, it's really just touching and really affirming of this work to know, you know, how people really believe in and support and understand the importance of emotional crisis support services for people who are on substances as well as people who aren't. There's a lot of people who come to us who are just having a hard time and they haven't even taken anything. So we're there. We're there for that too. Just so you know that uh, if you're at a festival and you're having a hard time and you didn't take anything, you are still welcome to come to the Zendo. So I love that. Yeah, I, I love that. Well, thank you so very much, Sarah, for just talking about yourself and the Zendo. And then, and I want to have you on another time to talk about the non-ordinary conscious states because I do um, clinical hypnosis and, um, and I love those non-ordinary conscious states too, which would be just very interesting to open up the doors to things that are real, non-ordinary states of consciousness that people experience and can be um, very transformative in a good way too. Yeah, thank you so much, Marina. I really appreciate you having me on the show. And um, yeah, I look forward to staying connected and to you and to all those out there listening. So. Thank so, you. Sounds great. And I will put all the links in the show notes of how you can find the Zendo project. You can contribute and then also just pass around that information. Um, knowledge is power. And you know, there is always another way. <laughs>